Hello and welcome to Good Sex, Bad Sex. This is a podcast from metro.co.uk. It's a bit like a sex guide, but this is the oral version. No! <laughs> My name is BB Lynch. I'm Miranda Kane. We have got such a fabulous guest. She is the disability consultant and brand ambassador for disability startup Handy. And her name is Katie Venables. Hi, I'm Katie. I'm brand ambassador for Handy. And I co-edited, co-curated and contributed to the Handy book of Love, Lust and Disability. Welcome to Good Sex, Bad Sex, disability consultant and brand ambassador for disability startup Handy and co-editor, co-curator, co-writer of the Handy Book of Love, Lust and Disability is Katie Venables. Hey! Hello. Hello. Tell us about this fabulous book. Okay. Yeah, it's, it is a fabulous book. So it's the Handy Book of Love, Lust and Disability, co-authored by 50 disabled contributors um, from all over the world with all different types of, of disabilities, hidden, hidden and uh, visible. And it talks about all aspects of human sexuality, really. And it, it just so happens that the thing that, that these people have in common is, is disability, it kind of turns out at the end, because... Uh, we just found that the the themes were kind of so universal to to everybody that that read it, everybody who, who turned their eyes to it. That, um, that yeah, it doesn't really feel it doesn't really feel like um, a book specifically for disabled people or or only about the disabled experience, really. Um, but but what kind are. of stuff do you cover then in the book? So we've got all kinds of things from body image, uh, masturbation. We look at our sex work, people who um, use sex workers, people who uh, are sex workers. We also looked at uh, society's perceptions of um, sexuality and disability and the ways that those perceptions can also be internalised by the disabled community as well. So if we're not expected to be sexy or to have fulfilling sex lives, how do those kind of internalised messages prevent us having the best sex that we could be having? But also how once you learn how to let go of those things, you can empower both yourself and other people to have much better sex. Was that something you experienced? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, the best thing for my self-confidence and for my sex life has been letting go of uh, of societal expectations of beauty in in the bedroom in particular like we're also terrified of getting naked aren't we and oh god what if the one person that I know finds me beautiful and attractive what if they suddenly change their mind you know <laughs> <laughs> what if I take my clothes off and they're like oh actually no <laughs> never mind um <laughs> <laughs> I'll call now you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh but once you kind of letting go of that kind of oh no, what what do other people think of me? What do other people think of how sexy I am and 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 what that means? I was able to 
concentrate on what I find sexy about me um, but also frame that so that when I'm in those moments I don't have to I don't have to think about it that's the thing I think I think getting that confidence is just totally letting go so not that you're thinking oh I am the best I knew I always knew secretly deep down I was the very best at sex in the world it's not about that is about just letting yourself completely be in those moments with with that careful person or um people whoever and just yeah truly letting yourself experience and as you said that's a lesson to everyone yeah disabled non-disabled can you we'll talk about more that uh, in a minute about what you know because you and I talked about you know what we feel what you feel that um non-disabled people can learn from this book but I'm really interested in your experiences how have you been made to feel that you weren't beautiful how have you been made you know and and is that across the board for, for disabled people but they're not they're not sexual yeah well there's um I mean something we've talked about a lot before is representation isn't it and how if we don't ever see ourselves if we're never projected to the world as as beautiful or attractive or or something desirable even you do take that on on board and for example um people are talking about it even gets into your sexual fantasies where people are able-bodied in their fantasies even and not even realized until somebody asked them to think about it and it's because you know if you think about porn if you think about what you see on television in um in rom-coms or or all the way through to more sort of progressive uh types of shows it's never it's never a disabled person that's the object of that desire. If, if they ever are, it's through kind of weird, fetishized lens quite, quite regularly. Or there's something wrong with the person that fancies them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or, the, or the disabled person is expected to um, cure the, the, you know, the not very nice able-bodied person of, of whatever. There's these kind of few lenses that we're allowed, we're allowed to be perceived through. Um, but certainly objects of sexual desire isn't isn't one of them you know so you need to kind of just let go of caring about that but that's such a <laughs> simple sentence and incredibly yeah just, just do it just stop do now it. just stop just, just, just stop it. it pack it in um no it's not that easy and I do think part of it is, is being forced through it whether that's through a physical barrier so that stops you from feeling sexy like you might not feel sexy if you're in pain constantly or you might not feel um feel sexy if if you're coming to terms with grief or or loss or or something like that to do with your body so how do you how do you get through it so I think my introduction to it was actually through fat phobia so I was um a lot fatter than I was disabled growing up for example um or at least other people let me know I was fat a lot Mm. more than they let me know that I was disabled And I think when you face that, and again, when there's so little representation of being a sexy fat person, um, you already have had that taken away from you and you have to learn, right, I'm either going to just never feel sexy again, never enjoy my life again, spend every minute thinking about how sad I am I'm fat, Mm. or 
I'm going to get on with it. I'm going to find things that do make me feel sexy. I'm going to put on an outfit and let myself feel good rather than weeping about not wanting to eat salad. You know, I'm going to find a way through. And you do. And it's exactly the same when, um, when you lose mobility or, or, you know, I said before, you might not feel sexy if you're in pain constantly. Wait long enough and you will. You know, it's just, an, <laughs> it's just another thing that's kind of assimilated into your human experience. Okay, so now constant pain is part of it. Well, I still feel happy, sad, sexy, horny, rejected, shameful, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't stop. It doesn't, it's not one or the other, is it? It's, it's the way, it's the way we as humans are multifaceted and are complex and having a disability or looking different or whatever it is outwardly doesn't change the fact that we're always going to have a fully rounded experience when you walk in or rolling around on the planet, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I thought it was, I think it's so interesting you bring up fat phobia because everything you were just saying earlier about um, how when you're shown on TV, you're not allowed to be the love interest. You're always the, like as a fat person, you're always the, the funny fat friend. Yeah. You know, so it's it's just so fascinating, like talking about how it can resonate with people who, who aren't disabled or who aren't disabled yet. You know, yeah. like this is always something that can happen to someone in the future. Your body isn't going to be, you know, working forever. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's, it's mm-hmm. just so, uh, and like, well, for me, I found, I found like camaraderie and doing things like reading books and finding other people in the same situation was really important to me, was how I overcame fat phobia and, and how I learned to, to love my body and start talking about myself and, and things like that. So I think like, yeah, that's why books like this are so important because it is representation. The more you see other people who look like you and reflect you, the more it helps you to overcome that kind of fetish, like fetishization. Because again, it's the same with like fat phobia, yeah. like you can get yeah. fetishized, can't you? And Absolutely. It's like, and it's so shocking. You're both such sexy women, <laughs> you know, gorgeous, sexy women. It's like, it's so horrible if you haven't felt that, <laughs> you know. It's, yeah, it's, it's not it's fair, is it? It's to- no, it's not fair. Yeah. And terrible. Like, just because of somebody, you know, does, you know, was born lucky enough to have a symmetrical face and be genetically predisposed to thinness and mm. whiteness and conforming to everything. Um, mm. That doesn't mean that they deserve to feel that thing more than more than other people that weren't born like that. Does it? Katie, <laughs> I mean, can I ask? So you said something earlier about grief, and I thought it was really interesting how you phrased it about grief about your body, about mm. your body not working. Has you, can I ask what your disability is, and and were you more able? If, if I get this to any terminology wrong, I really um, apologise. By upset oh, if I offend anyone. Were you more able bodied? So do you are you in a position to talk about sex before and now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's um, huh, I so I was born with my condition. It's called hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. What that means is I've got a connective tissue disorder. So mostly widespread joint pain um, is is how my pain characterises itself. uh, With the, um, my joints uh, go out of place quite a lot, so that can be quite painful. Um, But there's also other sort of early, for me personally, I've been dealing with a lot of uh, spinal issues for the past couple of years. Um, I'm just getting over spinal surgery 
now to deal with um, a really bad sciatica I had for 18 months actually of waking up because I was in pain and then trying to fight going to sleep at night because mm. I was in so much pain like all day just in the middle but you know it, like we said before um you know we still still get on with stuff but yeah it was um it was intense so I I'm, I'm getting better after that now which is another another new phase so I kind of go through we kind of go through these phases of, of disability but going back to what you were saying um when it comes to grief I think the best way or the best thing that I ever learned for myself when it comes to disability and grief is that a lot of people with chronic illness will end up in a kind of in the sort of five stages of grief um, in a continuous loop kind of forever and some of those stages are easier than others Um, some of them take more of a a mental toll on you Um, but the reason I say that is because I guess the first thing you need, to come to, you need to do is come to terms with the idea that your life might not be exactly what you expected it was going to be. And everybody has to come to terms with that eventually, right? <laughs> I mean, that's part of growing up and, and getting older, but you, you might be kind of faced and confronted with that at a much younger age. Um, so I, I think I was kind of 22, 23 when I realised, oh, okay, I'm not going to not be in pain again. And that's, that's the first thing. And then when I got to 24, 25, I was like, oh, okay, I'm not going to be going out regularly without a wheelchair again. And then there's these, these extra things, as you know, oh, okay, I'm not going to be seeing that friend. I'm not going to be having that certain type of career. I can't go to that nightclub until they bother putting in an elevator or whatever it is there's just so there's certain expectations that you have to let go up a bit sooner than uh than you might um otherwise um but then there's also the the kind of the uncertainty that that enters in a lot sooner as well so you kind of you're certain that you're not going to be able to do that and so you're having to grieve that but then you also don't know am I going to find something that's going to make me better so am I going to have to be pulled out of that grief cycle again for a little bit and then only to uh re-enter at a whole new level so for example with this with this blooming surgery um I've just had so the 18 months or so but um every week I'm having multiple medical appointments constantly trying to get somebody to tell me oh we know what's wrong with you or we can help you or they do and they go oh I reckon no oh no actually sorry no love we've got no idea so it's just this kind of um yeah just you do end up getting put into stages of you know acceptance stages of denials stages of you know oh I'm gonna do all this exercise because somebody else has promised me it's the cure you know that's the other thing that's so dangerous is people get suckered into believing things are going to be the cure because god we want it to be you know <laughs> so, mm. kind of. so the book I mean it's it, it it does the book a great disservice to say it's a sex guide because it's there's there's stuff about sex but in what you've just been talking about that's that's all mental health. That's all um, acceptance or struggling with acceptance, and all those things. You know, they will all have an impact on your on your libido, on feeling sexual, because that, you know it's, it's depression, it's whatever anxiety, it's whatever else it is. It's pain, and all these kind of things are covered in the book as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and um, you know, we're talking to people in different stages of their lives, different stages of their grief cycles. You know, in different all different types of. Uh, 
of disability. And so what we're getting is this amazing cross-section where it's kind of no matter where you're coming in, you're, you're going to be able to learn something new, um, learn an experience uh, that you didn't know about before. But I also think people are going to find themselves relating to a hell of a lot more than they were expecting to. So when you and I have chatted before, and I I love what you were saying about this, that you really think there are kind of, or maybe six things that that everyone can learn from this book. So, you know, disabled people and non-disabled. So should we go through them? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sex isn't what you think it is. Hmm. Discuss, Mm. Katie Venables. Discuss. No, so I just, so sex doesn't have to be what you think it is and I think I think this is something that comes up time and time and again we all have this kind of set prescriptive thing of what sex is what sex should be yeah yeah (laughs) for the listeners at home I just stuck my finger through a hole I made through my thumb and my forefinger and made a beautiful face I wish everyone could have seen your face I think we should all be grateful that she was using her own thumb and forefinger this time because it's not always the case (laughs) (laughs) and it doesn't always have to be penetrative um it doesn't it doesn't always have to uh end in orgasm um it doesn't have to involve kissing it doesn't have to involve somebody else you know it can be you need to redefine sexual pleasure on your own terms um as much as you can and if you can find a partner or partners to um, really help you fulfil what you want from sex, um, then that's the most important thing. But you've got to you've got to know what what that is for you to begin with, haven't you? What was point number two, Miranda? Communicate. Communicate, Katie. Yeah. Well, again, this is another one of those well, duh, kind of moments. But it is it is one of those where it's the same for everybody. If you talk about what you like. Uh, in bed with the person that you're going to be having sex with you're gonna have a better time if you don't talk about what you do and don't like before you get in the bedroom or if you just kind of try and uh, communicate indirectly or or just uh, not in the same way that the other person is able to communicate then you're going to have you're going to have a bad time and uh or at least not not as good as it could be yeah Um, do you mean do you mean (laughs) post-its yeah yeah i mean Stick posted everywhere you want to be touched. Um, It's it's also (laughs) like a, it's a consent, communication is like, it's consensual. And it can also, like a lot of people are like, oh, but doesn't that ruin it? And it's like, no, (laughs) that can also be part of the build up, isn't it? It's like saying, oh, I love to do this. or I love to do that. You know, it's like, it's all part of it. and, And it can also, yeah, just be a real key to consent. Would someone, they don't want to hurt you. They'd be scared. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that I think that that can be the same again for a lot of people, uh, especially maybe if you're into kink um, and but you're also a small woman. Maybe people are, are also scared, you know, oh, but she's so fragile. She simply must be. You know, there's this kind of um, this preconceived judgment. And it, yeah, absolutely. The only way you're going to get past that is by telling somebody like, I don't want you to be gentle with me or you don't need to be gentle with me or only in this certain way or for a certain minute. And um, yeah, the only way that you're going to be able to have good sex is to communicate. 
Yeah. Miranda, number three. Is this going to be, sorry, I'm going to ask a really, this might be a really personal question. Sorry. Please. But honestly, just say, but do you ever get people that are like, oh, well, you're disabled, so do you have any feeling down there? Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, we have a whole section on the book of uh, sexual ableism. Um, And we were going to have just an entire chapter of dumbass questions people ask us. (laughs) And um, so... Not so much me, because uh, I present as or, or quite able-bodied, or I used to when, I, when we were allowed outside. Um, so, but my friend uh, and um, uh, one of the founders of Handy, Andrew, has cerebral palsy and has always used a power chair. Um, and people will regularly think it's all right to ask him, you know, hey, uh, does, does your dick work? And oh what he pointed out is what the f- fuck is the right answer to that question <laughs> like, get it out and spunk all over them right right <laughs> <laughs> But then I mean, they'll yeah. probably complain about consent and all Probably. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he kind of, he has ended up coming up with, with daft answers to point out the absurdity of the question. But, you know, if he says yes, you know, it's like, do they get to go home feeling better about themselves? Or, um, yeah. And if he says if he says no, is it going to be like, as I suspected, you know, and they walk off and carry about their day there? I just don't know what people are thinking when they ask these kind of insensitive questions. In the same way that I wouldn't walk up to someone in the street and be like, mm, do you always look like that, babe? You know? <laughs> yeah. like, oh, yeah. oh, are you sure about that? Are you sure about that yeah. coat with those shit? You, you don't yeah. do it. It's rude. So it's just, rude. Um, it's rude. So people just need to, I think, keep keep their sensible hats on when talking to disabled people. Uh, but also just, just the way um, uh, these ignorant questions are I mean, going to leave people feeling after they get asked such a personal question and and you people love to it's a slightly different thing but um every cab I've been in if I'm using my crutches uh I always get asked oh what's wrong with you oh <laughs> or um yeah yeah well what have you done that's oh. the other one oh. like, nothing still nothing um but it it makes you feel like there's something wrong with you or like that is the first thing that somebody's noticed about you even if it's just somebody trying to make conversation which I appreciate you know as a cabbie you're gonna have to try and do six thousand times a day or whatever it is so you're picking out but just because something's salient to you doesn't mean that that's the first thing you pick out that's what you're taught at school right I think a whole chapter on just how to answer these stupid questions is is a brilliant idea an absolutely brilliant book yeah even the the book yeah you know what I've just thought Miri Mm. we shouldn't um we shouldn't make Katie say all of the um points because Katie's starring in a feature in Metro newspaper, our oh. sister publication to our pubs, uh, our website, oh. um, on February the fourth, and it's a whole feature. Well, so we won't give everything away, but I do love the idea. Who, of uh, who, who wrote the fe- who wrote the feature, BB? No, oh, just uh, some Dame BB Lynch. Dame. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> so weird how Don't how, Bobo lunch. how how <laughs> any it all. It's all beautiful. It all comes together beautifully. Unlike us. It's my (laughs) favourite. Finally finally came together. (laughs) But what I'm saying is, but Miri, you said something earlier, which is true, which was um, 
where, you know, some, a lot of people, some people are non-disabled now, but they won't necessarily be that way later. Yeah, and your body's Katie, you said that you, you and learn know now that um, disabled people are sexual people because this might be you soon. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's, there's a statistic that, so 80% of disabled people were not born disabled. So that's 80% of us, this, is, this has happened to at some point or another, um, or it has progressed in some way or another. And, and it could be, and it might be you one day, exactly the same way with, um, you know, we were talking about those, those lucky, perfect people uh, earlier. If if they do exist, you know what a what a fall from grace they've got to they've got to try and deal with. If you go from being the best, the most beautiful, if it's simply just aging out, it's going to happen to all of us. It's going to happen to, and the quicker you get on board with that, so yeah, I don't see it as a bad thing that I've been forced to accept these things because I'm going into my thirties um, already comfortable <laughs> with being my version of sexy rather than everybody else's and I do know that that's very lucky yeah that's a big deal so a lot of people don't don't get that and exactly what you say you have to kind of you know we will all change in whatever way and that change is often not societally seen as attractive and so whatever it is be just getting older or you know disability it's something we would have to accept you know, I know that you talk about the most exciting partnership you've ever encountered, and I know, and it's not me and Miranda, um, and I, that's a bit hurtful. But it's it's Love Honey and Handy. That's so Love funny. Honey are selling the book, and I love. There's this bit of blurb here, Mary. You'll love this. <laughs> I just wanted to, um, if you could explain what Handy is first of all, just so we know. Handy is the first sex toy company uh, designing toys. Um, for disabled people by disabled people. The company was founded by brother and sister, uh, Andrew Gerzy, who I mentioned earlier, who's got cerebral palsy. Um, and during a conversation, that it was uh, his able-bodied sister that realised that he hadn't been able to masturbate when he was a teenager, by still having, you know, exactly the same sexual urges, wants and needs as, as any other uh, a teenage boy and that had been very difficult for him still now there wasn't anything that was um helping him uh to achieve orgasm on his own uh they put their skills together and um they started handy um and ever since then uh they've been um prototyping toys um but also smashing taboos around sex and disability and that's the whole point with you and getting you on as an ambassador um and with love honey so love honey everyone knows their friends of podcast that's sexual wellness brand um brilliant sexual wellness brand and they've kind of got together with handy and they're the books available through love honey isn't it that's a brilliant endorsement that must be hugely exciting it's incredibly exciting um not just because um you know, it means that the toys and, and the book can get out there. But it's it's about that representation that we were talking about earlier to have such a big brand, what, like the third biggest sex toy brand in the world, I think, um, to have standing behind um, our book written by, you know, by disabled people, for disabled people, shining a brand new light on the ways in which disability and sexuality interplay 
honestly, I think, you know, I'm going to be biased. The best representation of sex and disability I've, I've consumed. And I, I was speaking to you about it before, Bibi, like it has helped me enormously on a personal level, purely through going, oh, there's at least 50 other people that I can completely get on board with. And, and, and since then, you know, through online communities and things like that, learning more about all these different um, areas of, of sex, sexuality and disability and, and, and human experience, like we said before. Um, and, yeah, you, so you said, and you said to me as well before, and this is so brilliant, Mary, that um, the case you spotted some of the contributors um, in a Love Honey Instagram campaign looking incredible in their lingerie and everything, and it just made you feel, well, you said that it, it made you feel really emotional. It did. Um, and it still does. Um, yeah, that you're not expecting, you're never expecting to see a disabled person sort of pop up halfway through, um, you know, a very, very sexy outfit. And then when they do, and it's somebody that, that we've worked with in the book, because we've, we've, you really feel like you get such a personal piece of everybody in the book that to know they're, struggle especially as the editor like having read everything like knowing their personal struggles what they've been through and then also seeing them being the representation that they've so often been dying out for crying out for is um yeah it does make me really emotional and uh it's, it makes me think that we're definitely on on the way to something good it just makes you imagine like a little you like from 20 years ago you if 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 you could have 10 20 years ago looked at the same instagram feed or on a you know online and seen that imagine that what that would have meant to you you know that's that's how i think about it absolutely and i think there's a huge crossover again um with uh sort of the online um fat community and the online disabled community where we are being the the representation for each other now we are being the people that we needed growing up um growing up <laughs> and, and and we can show each other because we're still on on that kind of self-love journey together we all are somewhere aren't we and um and yeah so okay we can't go back and give it to the child versions of ourselves but we can still tend to that child in us that is still scared and still doesn't feel pretty enough or or like anyone's ever gonna fancy them or whatever it is um and, and yeah we can be that for each other yeah what's your oh. what's your aim for the book katie um i said from the from the beginning that my my personal aim was was to make disabled people feel less alone um and it, that sounds very noble, but I think it. <laughs> um, but it, in in a place where is there is such a void of representation, you do feel alone unless there is somebody sat next to you going, you know, come on. It's the handy book of love, lust, and disability, and it's available now, Miranda Kane, mm. from the sexual wellness brand Love Honey at lovehoney.co.uk. Fantastic. Miranda, what did you think? Oh, I thought that was so interesting. I, it's so, like weird, like not weirdly relatable because it's it is relatable and it is that thing like because I've heard it say a couple of times before where you're not disabled yet and it's so important to realise that and um, 
And especially when it comes to all those stupid questions that people ask her, you know, like, oh, do you have any feeling that? And it's just like, oh my God, how would you feel if someone just came up to you and randomly said all that? And I think there's going to be a lot in this book that anyone could learn from, mm. definitely. Yeah, I don't want to plug my own work again, but it's Katie's work. <laughs> but um, I interviewed Katie for um, for Metro, and it's February fourth. It's out the paper Metro, and she um, it's great. And the whole thing is about how how non disabled people can learn from this book too. Which I don't want to take away from the fact that disabled people it's for disabled people, and they're going to get masses from it. But you know, it's there's it's just it's acceptance, isn't it? Acceptance, yeah. and communication, I guess, are, are the key things. Yeah, and um, representation. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, and representation. Hey, Miranda. Yeah, who are you? BB Lynch, who are you? Miranda Kane. Hey, hey Good Sex, Bad Sex was produced by <laughs> Juliet Nichols for metro.co.uk. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Good Sex, Bad Sex. So that's got triple X at the end and on our Instagram, which is the same address, but without the triple X at the end. <laughs> and also, if you've got a sexy question or query or um, there's a guest or topic who you'd love us to chat to or about, um, get in touch. Info at sexpod.co.uk. And we will see you all next week in a mere seven days' time.